It's Time to Hate Watch with us. Sidebar, I really like that I didn't actually give you warning I was going to start. You were just fucking ready. (laughs) Always ready. I did have a beer like almost up to my face ready to drink, so I had to stop. (laughs) It's time to engage. This week, we are going to be revisiting the ongoing series that we have been doing called Rom-Com Education, where Kelsey teaches me how to watch rom-coms. Today, we will be doing part four of Rom-Com Education, covering topics such as rom-coms for these are modern times and bromantic comedies, a category in which I am particularly well-versed and very excited for. And then for our B segment, we have yet again another installment of Hate Watch Analog, because as we talked about a few episodes ago, it's wedding season, which in New England also means that it's beer season. And so we are getting ready for a long summer of beer festivals. Now, Kelsey and I are both beer people and have a lot of feelings about beer people and the beer scene at large. So we're going to talk about it. We're going to see where we get. It's going to be great gonna be super great so are you ready to continue your learning in these are modern times i am so ready to continue the higher calling of the lifelong learner (laughs) (laughs) the like mildly begrudging lifelong learner (laughs) i mean I've made jokes, certainly, along the way. Like, the last time we did a rom-com education segment, I definitely made the joke that this has felt much more like doing a practicum where the work itself is really hard. But as I'm sure you've heard come out over the last few episodes, and as you know, Kelsey, from being in our Slack channel, it's been a really valuable exercise. I have actually learned some shit. You have. And now you have, like, a few more reference points in your brain. Yeah, like, I feel like my cultural encyclopedia is growing much more rapidly than it normally does. It's so exciting. So, we can start with rom-coms for these are modern times. Mm-hmm. This is a smaller list than I have for, we've gone over for some of the other sections, but it's a good sampling of the types of rom-coms we've seen over the last five years or so. They've matured a little bit from peak and badland rom-com land. They sort of fell off the mainstream grid and got dumped into the indie bin. (laughs) Take that for what you will. Um, It's sometimes better than others. There's a lot of, like, bad indie rom-coms out there. There's some, like, Joe Joe Swanberg stuff that maybe should be on here (laughs) that you've seen. Like, Drinking Buddies. Um. I was just thinking the other day about the fact that Drinking Buddies is not on this list, and I figured it was just personal for you. <laughs> like, your secret vendetta against that film. I mean, I actually didn't hate that film so much the first time I saw it, and the second time I saw it, I was like, mm, maybe mm-hmm. not. I don't think it followed enough of the actual rom-com mm. tropes to fit perfectly into these categories, but... It's worth mentioning in the, like, duds of indie rom-coms. One of the movies that we should probably start with on this list is probably the oldest one as well, and the most well-known, which is Crazy Stupid Love, came out in 2011. It was the first iteration of Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling as an on-screen pairing, and it was better than La La Land. But (laughs) besides that, this movie is about... So it's basically about two couples, kind of simultaneously... So it's about Steve Carell and his wife, whose name I can't remember, Julian Moore. And they have two small kids and and decide to get divorced like at the very beginning of the movie. And then there's this other plot of Emma Stone and she meets Ryan Gosling and he's kind of like a, a Ryan Gosling. So she's <laughs> she's sort of like judgy of him and she's dating Josh Groban like so she's got like a weird thing going so she keeps trying to like deflect him and he keeps going after her basically so the story sort of meet in the middle when steve carell meets ryan gosling because he's been like like sad old man drinking like not old man middle-aged divorcee drinking at a bar and shouting about how his wife cheated on him to everyone so ryan gosling comes up to him and he's like you can't you can't be like that in here and so he, like, takes him to the mall and makes him stop shopping at the Gap and get, like, <laughs> clothes that fit him and makes him get rid of his Velcro wallet. Oh, my God. There's, like, the greatest montage in that part. So he basically, like, fixes him. So it's almost like the trope of, like, 
taking the ugly girl and making her beautiful mm-hmm. is like spun mm-hmm. around a little gender swapping and yep. they're taking this like dumpy like middle-aged man who doesn't know how to dress himself anymore and doesn't care into like some guy who can meet all these women so basically ryan gosling like trains him into like how to meet women and talk to women and all this stuff and eventually you basically start rooting for him to end up back with his wife so it's a little parent trappy and then emma stone and ryan gosling finally get together and then the twist i'm gonna spoil (laughs) Is that you find out that Emma Stone is also Steve Carell's daughter. Oh, shit. And he would never want his daughter dating Ryan Gosling. So he's, like, pissed when he finds out that she's dating someone like him. Whoa. It's real fun. It's a lot of drama, but it's, like, it's light and funny and doesn't take itself too seriously. Mm -hmm. So that's a really great one. The other one that I highlighted here that you watched is Obvious Child from 2014. I believe so. So do you want a quick recap of that one? Sure. So this movie is about a millennial named Donna, and she's trying to be a stand-up comedian in New York, I believe. And she is noteworthy as a woman and a character because she sometimes says inappropriate things and makes jokes about bodily functions and being Jewish. And she speaks very graphically during her act about having sex with her boyfriend, having like mediocre sex. So he breaks up with her in the women's bathroom. And then she goes on like a drinking binge and meet cutes this guy who is the intern from the later seasons of The Office. He's New Jim. Uh, Yeah, it's New Jim. She meets New Jim. And they have a one-night stand, and then she gets pregnant and decides to have an abortion. But there's a prolonged period between when she finds out that she's pregnant and when she's able to get the abortion. And so she spends a lot of that time, like, having edgy conversations with her friends and having breakdowns and running to her mom's house. And she and new Jim run into each other off and on several times, and he keeps trying to ask her out, and she keeps trying to avoid him. And then she finally reveals to him that she's pregnant during a stand-up act by telling the entire crowd that she's pregnant and going to have an abortion, and then doing a series of jokes about it. And then he, he takes her, like, to Planned Parenthood and waits with her there and then takes her back to his apartment, and they cuddle on the couch. And that's, that's the movie, folks. Yeah. What were your thoughts? It was fine in, in a rom-com sense. Mm-hmm. In, like, the way that they, like, meet each other and they keep coming apart and coming together and coming apart. And, like, he is a very nice boy. And they prove that by doing things like he hands her butter when they go out to dinner. And <laughs> he warms it up in his hands first. Which is, like, all you could ever want from a man. Right. So he's a very nice boy. I mean, I'm a sucker for, like, nice boys. <laughs> I mean, nice boys are perfectly fine. Like, I appreciate my very nice boy. Right. Like, I like a good Matt Saracen of a person. <laughs> and that was, like, what endeared me to this movie the most was just that, like, he was endearing. And, like, yeah. the movie was endearing. Like, it wasn't meaning any harm to anyone. No, it's it's a very harmless movie. It's, like, a pretty chill movie. Like, in the sense that it's a very simple plot that is played out over, like, an hour and a half. So it's like a good wine-sipping movie. Yeah. I mentioned to you, like, I feel like it has a lot of the similar characteristics to, like, girls' type of comedy. So I'm curious and don't have an answer for myself why this worked and that show does not for me. My guess would just be, like, length, like, total duration. Like, an hour and a half of an inherently unlikable, entitled, abrasive millennial (laughs) <laughs> it's very different than, what was it, six seasons? Sure. Where Maybe what? there weren't enough nice boys either. Yeah. But, like, it was a lot of the same stuff where, like, they lean really heavily on body humor. And they're like, you know, these are edgy, liberated women. And you can tell by how much they talk about their vaginas. And, like, look, I'm not saying I don't make vagina jokes sometimes. I'm just saying that I have other stuff in my repertoire. Yeah. And I, f- I feel like I have a low tolerance for that particular brand of comedy as well yeah so i mean when it's mixed in with like butter jokes yeah that's a little better for me but i mean i i really liked this movie when it came out i've only seen it once or twice i really also liked the the montage to paul simon yeah their one night stand montage i'm here for that the other thing they did that was like kind of cool that I always appreciate when movies do because it's snarky as hell is like they have this montage 
of them like dancing about his apartment leading up to their one night stand and it's supposed to be sort of like quirky and magical and it like sweeps you up in the romance of the moment and then later on she's trying to remember whether or not they used a condom and she's flashing back to that night and instead of them like dancing around and being like cute Mm. and beautiful they're like stumbling over each other and like he gets his face stuck in his shirt and like they're clumsy and stupid (laughs) and awkward because they were drunk (laughs) right i always appreciate when movies do that where like on one hand they you know play it up to make it like the aspirational hookup and then they go back and show you what the reality was yeah and i think like a lot of these movies in this modern time section but particularly this one like you said it's, it's it's short and it's simple and i think they move away from a lot of the ridiculous grand gestures and plots yeah. that movies of it's their prior times those those <laughs> few segments we already discussed all of those other ones well yeah like his grand gesture in this movie is like so he gets mad at her because he thinks she's like dating this other guy and so he starts ignoring her calls and she leaves a voicemail for him that's like i'm gonna be performing at this time you should come so then she gets up on stage and he walks through the door and that's when she launches into the act where she announces that she's pregnant and he leaves and she tries to chase after him and he's not there anymore. And then the next morning she's on the curb waiting for her taxi to go to Planned Parenthood and he shows up with a bouquet of flowers and asks if he can go. And then he stays with her and lets her come over to like heal from the abortion. And like, it's not a grand gesture in the way that like, a 2004 rom-com would have expected or a 1980 rom-com would have expected but if someone did that for you in real life yeah if a if a total stranger who you just humiliated that way still showed up and was like you know i'd i'd still like to support you in this moment that would mean a hell of a lot to me yeah i mean that's what i i find likable about a lot of these movies is that like they've taken it down to a level of like accessibility and reality that you can stomach a little bit better yeah and relate to a little easier i did have a thing and this is not specific to this movie but probably all movies that feature comedians where i was like is her comedy actually funny oh yeah or am i supposed to think it is like it's always (laughs) hard because it's so like forced right but you have a moment of like i don't know if you'd actually like she's not really successful right but it seems fair. (laughs) Like, you can never tell if that's, like, is that on purpose to make her seem, like, mediocre, or is that what they think is good? That's one of my favorite discussions anytime you have, like, meta art. So, like, anytime you have a writer in a movie or a singer in a movie. We've talked about it with, like, Tom Yates from House of Cards. I think about it all the time with Zoe from Jane the Virgin. Mm -hmm. Like, Certainly her comedy, I thought this every time she was on stage. It's like, I always assume that they wouldn't show the protagonist or whoever as having this specific skill set if they didn't want you to think that the skill set was special for this individual. Yeah. So I always just assume that the text wants you to think that they are really good at whatever their thing is. But to your point, like, she isn't successful. She's not doing paid gigs. She's doing late night stand-up at shitty dive bars in Brooklyn. And so maybe the point is that she's not great. Right. Uh, it's so hard to know. It is. You know who did a really good job of mediocre art? Who? The Office with Pam. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, intentionally mediocre art. Yep. Like, any the couple of times that she fooled around with graphic design, it was, like, better than clip art, but fine. Right, and no one was ever, like, blown away. They were, like, as impressed as a paper company would be. <laughs> <laughs> right. But they also weren't, like, you know, ridiculously disparaging. Like, it's not like she was drawing stick figures to prove a point. Right, but... Back to rom-coms. That is a rom-com, but that's for next week. Television rom-coms. So some other movies that I have on this list also sort of cover these modern-ish themes that people can relate to. So, like, there's a movie called Friends with Kids, which is... It's an Adam Scott movie, so that's why I've seen it. (laughs) And also, uh, John Hamm. So it's pretty important, (laughs) casting-wise. But... So that's about Adam Scott and his friend. They aren't married, but all their friends are married and having kids. And so they decide to, like, 
co-parent and like have a child without being romantically involved Mm -hmm. to try and you know like be a part of parenthood basically and like be a part of their friends you know be be peers with their friends in a lot of ways and then they eventually like fall for each other by the end of it but that's definitely an angle that you (laughs) I haven't seen more than once talking about sort of like a more you know a different family dynamic than what you would typically see Mm -hmm. There's also a movie called Two Night Stand that came out in 2014 that's about Tinder dating, basically. <laughs> and it's it's very funny, but it's about how they have a one night stand through, like after meeting on an app and then get trapped during a snowstorm and have to spend another day together. Mm-hmm. Like it's, again, like not a lofty premise by any means. Not a long movie. It's just like simple, easy to watch, you know, with a glass of wine and enjoy its light. There's also a movie with Daniel Radcliffe that came out a couple of years ago that was really good called What If that was about it was it was more kind of about being friends or being more than friends which is a tale as old as time. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but it was particularly funny. It was about um, how he meets a girl who has a boyfriend and how he likes her, but they're also friends because he can't date her and blah, 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 blah. There's like seven romantic grand gestures in this movie, which is kind of funny. Like they keep, like he flies to, from like Toronto to the UK to go surprise her, but she's already on a plane back to Toronto. So they like miss each other. So it's like, you think there's going to be a grand gesture and then it doesn't happen. It's a good one. It's another just like fun, easy one. And I also included a zombie movie in rom-coms for these are modern times because why not i kind of wish i had watched this one reading the imdb i do too honestly so this movie is called warm bodies it also came out in 2013 and this is about a zombie apocalypse basically and there's a zombie who basically saves a real human girl and he doesn't like have all of his cognitive functions because he's a zombie, but he likes like listening to records and he lives in a in an RV or a bus or something that he's like made into his home. So it actually has a really good soundtrack too of like 80s songs. <laughs> so he like saves this girl and he doesn't know why because he's supposed to eat humans and he doesn't really know like his name or anything and he doesn't know a lot of things or how to talk, but they end up growing closer and he becomes more and more human again. And then, spoiler alert for this, is that eventually, like, their romantic bonds turn him into a human again. Oh, wow. Yeah. Look at all that love. It's, like, (laughs) it's one of the more, like, surprising movies I've ever seen because you, I didn't ever want to watch it because I thought it was a zombie movie. Right. (laughs) And then I found out it was a rom-com, and that's why I watched it. Well, it's tough because it came out in 2013, so that was, like... There's a lot of zombie and vampire shit happening at the time. Yeah, and I think it was it was trying to play off of all that stuff too and like make something, you know, that would appeal to a, a weirdly broad audience. I would I would recommend this one for you. I think you would think it's really funny. Yeah, it sounds interesting. I like stories that are like so uh it's relevant given my Jane the Virgin feelings this week. But I like stories <laughs> that are so ridiculously unbelievable and like have no place in this plane of reality because I feel like it automatically takes off the table anything like self-aggrandizing or like any sense of seriousness. Yeah, for sure. Like I can't take a text seriously if it takes itself seriously. Yeah, no, I agree. This is just a, a real gem and I now I want to watch it again now that we've talked about it. <laughs> um, <laughs> particularly like it's worth it for the soundtrack alone. It's just yep. such a jam. You in the 80s, man. I, I've always known this about you, but I don't think I've always known just how how concentrated of a thing 80s pop culture was for you. But this isn't set in the 80s. No, I know. This is set in our modern times, Kirstie. <laughs> it's just come up a lot recently. See, you're learning so much about me. <laughs> I just consider the entire podcast an entry in our love story. I like some good classic 80s hits. What can I say? <laughs> So that's like the main rundown. There is a rom-com coming out this month, which will probably be next month for y'all listening. This one is called The Big Sick, and it was made by, I'm never going to be able to say his name. I'm going to try, though. Forgive me. Um, 
Kumail uh, Nanjiani. So it's made by him and his wife, basically about their own life, like loosely. And everyone I've heard on the internet and on podcasts who has seen it has says it's like a really, really, really great movie. And it's the first like big buzz for a rom-com that I've heard in a long time that has been specifically about it being a rom-com. So I'm super excited to see that. I hope if you guys do too, that you can tweet us about it and tell us where it should fall on our rom-com decation. <laughs> what's the word? Curriculum. Yeah. I've got it in our modern times right now, but you never know. It could be Badlands and we don't even know. Wouldn't it be sad if it did backslide into the Badlands? <laughs> that would be sad. I don't think they'll let me down though. I'm really, really excited to see this. Yeah. All right. So romantic comedies was a, was a fun category to add in here. And I, I almost didn't, and I started to put a lot of these movies into other categories, and then I was like, well, you know what? These are a little different. And they deserve their own car- category because they all kind of came out in the same eight-year Spanish. Well, and these feel to me like the bridge from peak slash Badlands rom-coms to rom-coms for These Are Modern Times. Yeah, in a weird way. Like, there's a lot of trends that I feel like carry carry the tropes of, like, the mid-2000s into now. The difference being that these are mostly male. Right. So these were like Judd Apatow movies for the most part and things in that vein. Things like Knocked Up, Wedding Crashers, I Love You Man, 40-Year-Old Virgin, The Hangover, Anchorman, Superbad, Stepbrothers. I added Bridesmaids on here, which is not about bros, but is in the vein of romantic comedies. Well, I think it's an important add. When I was when I saw romantic comedies come up on the Google Doc back when you were forming it, I was going to suggest that it made it there if you hadn't thought of it yourself. And mostly because people talked about that film when it came out as if it was groundbreaking. And a lot of it was because like, people were still getting used to the idea of female comedians doing dude humor. Like dude movies were a very established thing. And then chick flicks were a very established thing. But like women, even though it was the mid to late 2000s, were like not allowed to make sex and fart jokes for some reason. And so Bridesmaids came in and was like, here's a story about female friendship and like bridesmaids and stuff that people make fun of because of women. But also dude humor. Right. And I think like all of these movies in general were were basically made to bridge the gap and find a movie that like couples could go on date night together with, you know, to go see. Well, I think it's the continuation of what we talked about in a few different segments of this, where it's like, there came a point where there was a broader conversation in the genre about other types of friendship or relationships, namely friendship. Mm-hmm. So like these are buddy movies as much as romantic movies. Right. It's usually like the buddy plot is the A plot and then yep. there's like a B plot that's romantical. And sometimes the romantical B plot is the conflict for the the buddy A plot. So what are your favorite romantic comedies? Mm. It's been a really long time, but back in the day, I had really strong feelings about Wedding Crashers. I probably mm-hmm. haven't seen that movie since I was like 18. I've seen it more recently than that. Really? I don't know. Hashtag would... cable. <laughs> I've had the opportunity to see it again. I just haven't chosen to see it again. All right. That's fair. I don't know if it would hold up for me anymore because I remember it being like, at the time that I liked it, I put up with a far more offensive type of humor than I do now. And so I think there's like, if I remember correctly, there's a lot of like pretty gross stuff in this movie that's not gross for the sake of like proving a point about characters, but gross because as far as like the worldview of the movie, it's okay. Because farts. Because farts and sexism and womanizing. We've been like coddled by Jane the Virgin. I know. I know. Like, like, I feel like we need to keep bringing up that, like, that's, like, the peak of, like, kind comedy. <laughs> that and Parks and Rec. Like, oh, those I know. two things completely destroyed my worldview. Like, I can't I can't deal with anything that doesn't have compassion in it. Michael Schur's, like, <laughs> world that he's built, like, has no room for mean jokes. It's true. Other than that, I, on... This list, my other favorite is Anchorman. Mm -hmm. So Anchorman is a movie that holds up for me. Yeah. But it's also a movie that has some sentimental value. Tell us more. (laughs) Um, I mean, Talk about your own personal rom-com, Kirstie. Talk about my personal rom-com. So (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> Sorry to put you on the spot. You don't have to. If you, don't want to. <laughs> you can't see it, but I'm blushing. Um, so, I mean, this movie came out when I was a teenager and in a time when I was obsessed with Will Ferrell. Like, I was pretty deep in the Will Ferrell canon. <laughs> and so... I can't deal with that sentence. As a side note, which you guys will learn more about when we do our upcoming segment on formative media, um, my first date with my husband was actually to see Talladega Nights, and it was because the people who set us up knew I would go because they knew I would see that movie. <laughs> so I wouldn't back out of the date. Just a little coercion. <laughs> I was 16, to be fair, Okay. But Anchorman was the movie that I had my first kiss to. (laughs) (laughs) So other than there being What scene? (laughs) Well, not any scene in particular, but like that was the the whole movie movie. that we were watching. All right, all right. (laughs) It happened like, I I actually do remember the scene where we finally did kiss, but whatever fine Um, (laughs) guys we've never had this conversation before for real (laughs) (laughs) this is a relationship milestone for kelsey and i (laughs) and then we kissed a couple more times and we're like you know sweet nervous teenagers about it and then my mom came home and we got really awkward because we didn't know if she knew or not and she knew (laughs) obviously (laughs) because we were 16 and had no idea what we were doing oh my god what a great story (laughs) So, so aside from that, like, that's like a pretty pivotal thing. Sure. But I mean, my friends and I spent a lot of time with this movie, too. So we had a lot of inside jokes based around this movie. And I, I still like watch it now as an adult and think it's so funny. Mm -hmm. And so great and wonderful. Like, there are probably I'm not remembering them off the top of my head. There are probably some problematic things in here. But overall, it using problematic stuff to make fun of itself mostly right because it's like set in the 70s right so like there's a lot of womanizing and sexism but it's to like prove a point and it's all like over the top and dramatic and crazy and will ferrell is super into self-deprecating humor which is something that i like value as a human so i i love that movie and there's like some funny friendship stories in there there are Super bad is also okay. I don't like mm. Knocked Up or I Love You Man. Yeah, I'm not big on those. I Love You Man is tough because I have such an intense crush on Paul Rudd. That's such a weird person to have a crush on. I've I've been obsessed with Paul Rudd. He's like a little boy. He has like I, a little boy face. Yeah, and he's precious and I like him a lot. He's not a nice boy. I feel like gross about that. <laughs> He makes me swoon. I don't know. I Even when he's it. on Parks and Rec? Oh my god, I loved him in Parks and Rec. Oh my god. <laughs> I loved Bobby Newport. I mean, I did, but I didn't have a crush on Bobby Newport. I wasn't like, Bobby Newport, let's bang, you have a baby face. <laughs> okay, I did Sorry. <laughs> Crushing doesn't mean let's bang, necessarily. <laughs> I'm judging you for your life choices a little too hardly. There's like a spectrum of crushing. <laughs> Like, if I wanted to bang everyone I had a crush on, then, like, we should probably revisit some things we've talked about over the years. (laughs) Fair. Sure. I think you've misinterpreted my feelings about some people in the world. I just, I don't hear you, like, gush about men that frequently who aren't your husband. (laughs) Like, the most I hear is, like, my husband brought me ice cream. Which is important. (laughs) The other day, my husband spontaneously brought me ice cream when I was working from home, and it was really cute. See, this is what I deal with. (laughs) (laughs) He also listens to the show, so thanks, babe. Hi! Hi. (laughs) Um, So, Uh, romantic comedies, huh? Yeah. Um, I do remember when The 40-Year-Old Virgin came out, before, like, any of these, that was, like, the first one, right? Uh, yeah, it was, uh, Wedding Crasher, no, either American Pie or Wedding Crashers was the first one. American Pie was first, but Wedding Crashers came after, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, and then was followed by I Love You Man and Knocked Up, like 40-year-old version, wow, 40-year-old virgin paved the way for I Love You Man and Knocked Up. Yeah, Steve Carell did a lot of work. Yeah, he did. So that movie came out, and I was staying at my friend's house for, like, a sleepover, 
And her parents were going out, and her mom had rented us the unrated 40-year-old virgin to watch for fun. (laughs) Did she know? Nope. Oh, no. So she didn't know. And we watched it, and we thought it was hilarious, but then she watched it the next night, and we were like, oh, no. (laughs) Oh, no. And she was like, you can't tell your mother that I let you see that movie. Oh, my God. I saw that movie at the drive-in. Did you? I did. With your mom? No. All right, that's good. I really wanted to like that movie because Steve Carell and Paul Rudd are both in it, but I couldn't get there. It's funny how dated it is now. Like, I saw it on TV a few weeks ago, and I was like, wait. Like, it looks like it was shot on, like, an analog camera, and it may have been. Well, and the thing I remember the most is that there's, like, so many Best Buy jokes. Yeah. And, like, Best Buy still exists, certainly, but hasn't been relevant since cereal. And, like, the TVs since, since the phone booth. <laughs> oh. You almost let that one go. I did. I couldn't, though. <laughs> but, like, the TVs are, like, those old box TVs, too. Mm-hmm. It's real great. Yep. So do you have any, like, overall thoughts about romantic comedies or things that we haven't highlighted yet? I mean, I think what's interesting about romantic comedies in the scope of rom-coms mm-hmm. is that they are primarily male. If I read down this list, which will be on Tumblr, so you can see it later, we've got Knocked Up, American Pie, Wedding Crashers, I Love You Man, 40-Year-Old Virgin, The Hangover. I fucking hate The Hangover. Mm-hmm. The Hangover, like, represents so much of what makes me upset about, like, mediocre white men. <laughs> <laughs> Anchorman, Superbad, Step Brothers, which I've never seen, but I definitely have, like, A couple of, like, the more iconic lines have, like, become inside jokes in some of my friendships. Like, one of my friends in particular, who also listens to the show, so hey, buddy. When the night that we became best friends, we, you know, that scene where they look at each other and they say, did we just become best friends? (laughs) Yes. We literally had that moment. We hadn't spoken to each other all night. We were sitting across a table in a room of, like, 14 other people, and I was sitting next to a guy who could have been in The Hangover. His whole life story is The Hangover. And he was telling stories like The Hangover. And we kept making eye contact. And then he said something in particular. And we looked at each other. And she said that. And from then on, we've been best friends. That's so amazing. She was in my wedding. Like That's, that's a way better story than our story, Kirstie. <laughs> okay, but who has the podcast, Kelsey? I know, I know. <laughs> And then Bridesmaids in that awkward moment, which I don't know what that awkward moment is. That awkward moment was noteworthy on this list just because it's like they tried to like take a backward step into romantic comedy more, but still have it be a romantic comedy. And it was it was really weird. Interesting. It it, it involved Zac Efron. Oh, God. Yeah. 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 <laughs> So it's interesting to me that these are all male movies because they have, like, a male protagonist and a male best friend. And, like, as we said, the B plot is usually a relationship with a woman, and it's all about how the relationship is impacting the buddy plot. And I talked about earlier the whole thing about, like, dude movies and chick flicks and rom-coms, even though they are heteronormative and so the protagonists are a man and a woman they are seen as being women's movies and in terms of representation this is a sidebar i would be interested to go through a bunch of the peak rom-coms and do a body count and actually break down representation of gender by number of people in a shot because i would be willing to bet that some of those movies have more men in them than women but you'd have to watch so many rom-coms for that I mean, I could also just read the cast list on IMDb. Fair. Just do it by top billing. Anyway, there's like a whole body of data about like how gender breakdown happens in rooms and the perception of like group makeup as being more male or more female and blah, 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 blah. So that's where that would come from. Anyway, this is all a digression. Where it comes back to is that even though men are present and a necessary part of the story of traditional rom-coms those are still seen as women's movies about women for women that men like dramatically eye roll if they have to see whereas these are all of the same tropes all of the same rhythms of storytelling as all of the other rom-coms we've talked about they're just led by men and i think in a lot of cases were legitimized in ways that other rom-coms weren't 
like American Pie, which I have no working knowledge of, is like an iconic film. Yeah. And I mean, I think what they really did with these movies is like disguise rom-coms with bros. With men. Like, they literally were just like, we're not getting enough credit from the format. So what if we put men here? Right. And I think it's these movies have helped to pave the way into the rom-coms for these are modern times where a lot of men are more, from what I've seen, like more casually open to saying that they watch them and like them. Yep. Like, I've seen so, like, an absurd amount of men say that they really love Crazy Stupid Love on the internet. Really? Yes. Interesting. Like, lots of men that I follow on Twitter have all said that, (laughs) in particular. And I think, like, it's made it more acceptable for, you know, in the world. Yep. (laughs) For men to like romantic comedies and movies like this, or like, um, 500 Days of Summer is another one that I see a lot of them talk about. Romantic comedies did more work than we give them credit for sometimes. For sure. And I think in the same vein, Bridesmaids is important because it opened women up to vulgar comedy, dude humor, like whatever you want to call it. And I think paved the way for things like girls. Yeah. And like, I mean, most other things like Tina Fey comedy has always been like pretty vulgar and Amy Poehler, it can be pretty vulgar when she wants But I think there's a concentration of it now that I don't remember seeing before Bridesmaids. And I remember so vividly what it was like when Bridesmaids came out and what the cultural conversation was like. And it blew the world the fuck up. Like, people could not process that women were doing dude humor. Yeah, and I mean, I think, like, later attempts at a very similar format with women has have not been as successful like that was a peak with bridesmaids i think well there's one movie that's like out right now that is trying to be the hangover but for women yeah there's been a lot of like bad moms and like yeah those types of movies and it's like it's like the same as the badlands of rom-coms of like the badlands of romantic comedies is what's happening absolutely so yeah i think like this is probably problematic to say if you like try to use any type of actual feminist critique but it's almost like in a weird way there's some amount of gender bending going on in the format yeah that's like blowing up the format a little bit so that people are more open to it in general yeah i feel like we've pretty much covered our bases on this Today's lesson of a uh, rom-com vacation. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to do categories. real quick recap and move along into our fun analog hate watch? Yeah, this this one is the easiest category or set of categories for me to to sort of deal with. So I think like the other three three parts, four parts, however many segments we've done of this, yeah, has all been about the evolution of like the heteronormative part of it and like self-realization via love stories, where this is coming at a time when rom-coms were falling out of fashion. And so these mostly seem to be falling into the indie trap, which was definitely a thing in the late 2000s. Um, like the indie vibe movies were like a thing. Slightly more simplified stories... And, like, a huge focus on, like, authenticity and realness and edginess and messiness. Yeah. As opposed to, like, the really polished, beautiful, like, aspirational love that you saw in peak rom-coms in particular. Exactly. And then, and then romantic comedy swooped in and reminded us that friendship matters, too. And men, I guess. <laughs> I guess. I guess. You did so good. You got an A plus on that. Oh, recap. thank you. <laughs> If you feel like there's anything that we missed, or if you have any thoughts or feelings about this segment or any other segments of Rom that we've done, or you just generally want to join the conversation, you can find us on Twitter at HateWatchWithUs, or you can send us emails, HateWatchWithUs at gmail.com. And please send us your modern rom-coms that are coming out that you're excited about, because I want to be excited about them too. Yeah, I think Kelsey has been feeling like there's a drought of rom-coms, and this is her bread and butter, people. It's true. It's because Catastrophe is basically, like, only three hours of my life every year, and I need it to be every day of my life. So I need to fill my time with other good, new, fun rom-coms. And I'm still a flight risk from the genre, so if you want to keep me looped in now that I've learned so much, help a brother out. (laughs) Oh, so speaking of like bros, <laughs> masterfully done. <laughs> Let's talk about our B segment. 
So as we said in the opener, it's beer festival season. And so I I don't think I actually have tickets to any festivals for the first time in a long time, but I'm old now. But there will be many people across the country and certainly concentrated in New England who are going to be sweaty hot messes in grass fields under pop-up tents drinking entirely too many one-ounce samples. So we wanted to talk about it because Kelsey and I have a lot of feelings about the beer scene. We want to prep you for some of the people that you can hate when you go to a beer fest. If there's one thing that Kelsey and I are really good at, it's people watching. So we just want to get you ready, get you in the mood to people watch. How should we start this off? How should we start this off? Well, Let's talk about... All right, go ahead. No, you you go. I was going to bring up like the most common thing you'll see from people who you should keep an eye on to hate at a beer fest. Yeah. Which is brewer apparel. (laughs) It's like going to a concert and you wear another band's t-shirt because you can't wear the t-shirt of the band that you're seeing. Yep. And it's like that, but at a brew fest. And I would say that beer people who collect beer apparel are just as bad as people who collect concert shirts. So they'll go out into the wild anywhere with their beer shirts and make sure that someone asks about it at least once so they can be like, oh, this is some like new brewer in the foothills of Nome, Alaska, and (laughs) you can only get their beer during the equinox. And yeah, like it was earth shattering and I really hope to see them do a collaboration with Hill Farmstead. Yeah, it's definitely like a competition of like whose dick is bigger for like who has the most obscure beer merch on their body. <laughs> yeah. Well, and in the same way that like band tees are all about like the album art, brewery tees are all about the brewery art, which mm-hmm. I swear to God is becoming like a a different type of like dick whipping competition, but for like graphic designers who drink too much. Right. <laughs> You have a local one that's like annoyingly good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they have they have some of the best graphic design I've seen of like any small company in general. They've got this like crazy skateboard vibe which sounds weird, but like their graphic designer lives in Sweden or some shit, so he just like really knows what he's doing. Mhm. I'm going to take that as to be true for all Swedes. Yeah. <laughs> Sing me the song of your people, Kelsey. <laughs> Um, so who do you hate at beer festivals? Oh, Lord. The list is long, my friend. Yeah. I hate anyone who travels in a posse. Yeah. You should not go to a festival with more than three people. I hate the kind of people who go to the Hill Farmstead booth or the Alchemist booth more than once. I'll give mm-hmm. everybody one. All right, y'all get one. But if you're doing the thing where you go up and you get your one-ounce sample and then you immediately go to the back of the same brewery's line so you can drink your sample while you wait, like, why the fuck did you even come to the festival? Just go to their brewery. Just go to the brewery. It's cheaper. And it would save me time. Right, right. So I hate those people. I'm going to say something that's really problematic, and I'm okay with it, but there are... There is some gender dynamics in beer drinking, in case you beer drinkers haven't picked up on this. And there are certain types of ladies who kind of ruin beer drinking for the rest of us who are trying to play it cool. Tell me more. I'm so excited that we're diving into this already. (laughs) Headlong. To be fair, I blame this on the patriarchy, not on the women. (laughs) I just want to put that out there. Like all things. This is not about me trying to tear down other women who are just trying to live their best life. This is about the patriarchy making a decision that beer is a gender normative product, therefore ruining my ability to enjoy it. (laughs) There's like a few different types of ladies who go to beer festivals. There's like the ladies who look like they got lost on their way to Coachella, but know to throw around Hetty Topper as like a name and also know that they should drink the occasional IPA. Whether or not they even like the IPA, but like, they know that they're in, but they also look like they got lost going to Coachella. It's like they decided it was like a hip, hip enough thing to do yeah. to be like, I'm going to jump on this train and go to beer fests. And they don't 
really care that much about what they're putting in their faces. No. But they also, like, only bother to learn, like, one important beer or brewery. Yeah. You know, like, so I've mentioned before that I live in Vermont, which means that I have a very contentious relationship with Hetty Topper. Right. And that's, like, a thing is, like, all of these people and, like, these women probably do like Hetty Topper genuinely. I'm not trying to take that away from them. But, like, there are other beers besides Hetty Topper. Like, stop introducing yourself to people and immediately making sure to throw down Hetty Topper in conversation. Yeah, we have a lot of people. Boston's not as mature of a beer market, but they're trying. They're getting there. But, like, there's a lot of people who go to Harpoon frequently. Yep. Uh. And it's like, well... Well, and I definitely, like, that is the thing you see at festivals. And this is, I've been to festivals in Boston, so the dynamic is different there than it is up here. Where, like, Harpoon doesn't really come to the craft festivals because up here they're not considered craft. Right. Just like up here, Sam Adams isn't considered craft, even though they technically are. So, like, people will come to festivals and only really have experience with Harpoon or Long Trail or Otter Creek or Sam Adams or like the bigger craft brewers, but they're not the ones going to festivals. They do like different sponsored events. So they'll do like the charity events around the state. Yeah. Or they do their own like on campus events. And like, really, if you're trying to drink that beer, that's where you need to go. Get out of my festival. Get out of my festival. (laughs) But to your point, at the Boston festivals, there are more of those bigger breweries who will show up. And hit, like, that mid-range crowd. But not to derail from your point about women. Oh, <laughs> I mean, we can come back to it. If we're oh, like, no, no, it's too fun to hate watch. Okay, are we ready? So there is one personality in particular, and I will give her a pseudonym, because I'm not trying to be too mean. After all, we are fans of Parks and Rec and that worldview. So for the sake of this conversation, we'll refer to her as Chapstick and Kolsch. <laughs> <laughs> and... <laughs> she I mean she has like a lot of these sins right so her big thing is like being ultra feminine and also drinking beer because as I said in episode six your gender norms ain't shit because I've got pantaloons it's like the same attitude like your gender norms ain't shit because I've got IPA and so like she posts a lot of pictures of her greasy camera screen like she doesn't even bother to clean off her her phone camera (laughs) and like blurry pictures of her her lips touching a beer glass and then like the name of the beer tagged with it she used to try to do events around here a fair amount that never really took off and the idea i went to a couple because the idea sounded cool when it started and it she was going to start these like women focused not women only but like women focused events for beer drinking so that you didn't have to like bro out to be able to like talk beer which I have a story about and I went to a couple and like again this is not about women but they were so clicky and so catty and there was like no attempt to make it about the beer so I think I went to three and all three times I like turned around and left yeah And, like, the reason that it bothers me so much is because in the beer scene, there is definitely a culture of microaggressions towards women. And it is to a point where I've developed a certain type of paranoia. So if I'm in a craft beer store, like, I know my way around beer. My husband's a home brewer. We've been drinking beer for a long time. Like, I'm well-educated. I don't need help. But if I'm in a craft beer store... I'll have multiple employees who are almost always men approach me and ask if I need help. And between the volume of employees who talk to me and the number of times I'm asked, I never know what their motivation is. It's like, do you ask everybody four times if they need help? Right. Or like, do you doubt my competence? Like, you have 700 beers under your roof, so yeah, it's going to take me a little while to read the labels. Right. So the story I was going to tell on that note, and I promise this is all leading back. I was at a conference and we did this thing that they were calling dine arounds. And long story short, a bunch of us from the conference went out to dinner and there was a guy who was like super heteronormative, like macho man. He was on a select board. He was a football coach. He was like, like super manly man. He had a massive gold watch and a giant gold football ring and we all sat down to dinner and it was at a, a brew pub, one that I happened to be super familiar with. 
And so he starts looking through the menu and admitted that he doesn't know beer super well. And so he was asking for recommendations. And it just so happened that I knew the most about beer at the table. So I asked him a bunch of questions about hoppiness and bitterness and what he usually drinks and brands and whatever. And I walked him through the menu and I narrowed it down to this one beer, whatever. And everyone at the table was like, wow, that's impressive. And he was like, (laughs) and so he was like, I'll just wait and ask the waitress or the waiter or whoever. So the wait staff comes over and he's like, what beer should I get? So they do the same thing. They ask him, I started counting after a certain point. In order, they asked him all the exact same questions that I asked him and arrived to the same beer. And when the waitstaff said this, every head at the table turned to me and they were like, oh my God, you got it right. And I was like, no shit. Right. (laughs) And so like, what's hard about it is that like everyone should be out there living their best life. And if your best life is like taking pictures of yourself, wearing bright lipstick and drinking beer, then fine. And if your best life is being out there doing nothing but drinking Hetty Topper, fine. But like, do it in a way that's respectful enough that it makes men realize that, like, women like beer. Right. <laughs> Full stop. Full stop. Like, that's all I want. And, like, I don't, like, I feel like women, and I'm going to, the amount of urgency in my voice is, like, a counter argument to my point here. But, like, there are a lot of women, and Chapstick and Kolsch is one of them, who I think feel competitive about the need to prove that they are women who like beer and drink good beer. Like, I just want us all to chill. I just want us all to be able to chill with some strawberry whale cake on the beach. Like, I just want us to be able to go to the occasional pop-up sale. Actually, that's a lie. I hate pop-up sales. I just want us to be able to, like, crack open a fucking growler or crowler and, like, chill in some lawn chairs and be able to name drop our favorite breweries and, like, not have it be a gender issue. Right. God forbid. Yeah. You're just right. <laughs> There's also a thing, and this is um, true at live music shows, music festivals, so on and so forth. But brew beer festivals tend to have live music. And inevitably, there will always, always be a group of women, some of whom will be in their 20s and some of whom will be middle-aged, who will be dancing and will be doing what I refer to as the chicken peck. Which is, like, hands up in the air, heads down with hair over their faces so that they can, like, sway poetically. And, like, hopping around with one foot, like, towing the ground, looking like chickens, pecking for worms. (laughs) That's so beautiful. (laughs) What a metaphor. Like, put it on your bingo board. (laughs) Oh, yeah. One thousand (laughs) percent. So I've taken up some airtime, Kelsey. What about you? Who am I missing? So I've got like brewer fanboys who block the tap area because they're talking to their favorite brewer. <laughs> My, you and I went to Trillium recently and there were two guys <laughs> who took up literally the entire bar. <laughs> two guys at like an 11 foot bar. And the only thing they were talking about was hoppiness. Oh. <laughs> This is why the gender issue gets to me, because those assholes were so dumb, and they got to keep the entire fucking bar. Right. And I'm we sorry. had to wait for them to be done with their conversation to get for our literally beer. 15 minutes. Uh, so I'm sorry, fanboys who talk to the brewer. Yes. The family who brings their kids and their dog and aren't paying attention to them, which I know is a beef for you. Wicked beef. I'm like, I'm not, I can stomach the occasional brewery dog. But I have rules for it. And then, like, I'm not really here for brewery babies. And it's, like, less about the baby and more about the fact that, like, me as a grown adult who spends a good amount of time with children, like, likes to be able to go to spaces where I don't have to be delicate about my language. (laughs) Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I think I'm okay with babies during the day. Yeah. And of a certain age, right? Like, if they're running around, hard pass. Yeah. But, like, if they're just blobs... Like, sure. This isn't happening as much as it used to, but for a long time, breweries here had, like, parts of their parking lots roped off 
And liquor control is super uptight in Vermont, so that got taken away from a lot of them. But during that time, people were bringing their toddlers and letting them run around barefoot. I was at one brewery one night where there were literally five toddlers in, like, a very tiny parking lot that's more of, like, a parking pad for about six cars that's right out onto a pretty high traffic street. Yeah. Where there was also a giant beer pong set. So it was, like, trash cans and beach balls (laughs) that was roped off so like people kept losing the beach ball in traffic is how close this parking lot was and there were literally five toddlers running around with no shoes in the dead of summer that's some life choices yeah yeah i mean if you're gonna bring your kids to a brewery just be smart (laughs) be respectful of the other adults yeah it's really about like it being an adult space not a child space (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I understand why parents like to do it, though. Yeah. Like, having heard some of the benefits <laughs> sure, that a place like a brewery can offer, I get it. But, like, if it's 1030 at night, maybe bring your babies home. <laughs> Please do. So, some other people that we kind of touched on already, like, the people who get wasted in the first 30 minutes. Yep. And can't handle theirsel- themselves or pace themselves. Um, oh my God, the people, people who like fish for extra tickets. Yeah, or the people who throw away their cups. <laughs> like too soon. Like some yeah. people, you uh, sometimes you get glass, sometimes you get plastic, and when you get plastic, you, some people think they're like meant for throwing away. Yep. But that's meant to be your cup for the whole time. Yep. So that's always a tough one. The person with the pretzel necklace. Ugh, I hate those. Because, like, they want you to know that they they are really into Brewfest, but... Well, it's, like, twofold. They're really into Brewfest, and I feel like they're trying to pretend that there's, like, some kind of Oktoberfest authenticity as yeah. if we're, like, magically in Germany. Right. Which, for the record, my understanding is that that's only done for tourists, so get your shit together. But it's also to send a signal that, like, bitches are here to party, You know, like, a pretzel necklace says, I'm not here to fuck around. I'm here to get shit hammered on one-out samples. Right. It's never a good sign. No. Don't befriend a pretzel necklace. (laughs) Don't befriend. Also, do not, especially if you're a woman, befriend anybody who's a little too loose with handing out remaining tickets in the last 45 minutes of the festival. Yeah, that's not a good sign. Do not do that. That's a real (laughs) PSA. That's not just a hate watch. No. This comes from lived experience. (laughs) (laughs) So the last person I have on my list that's important to mention is the untapped power user. (laughs) Who, especially when there's like a little bit of room at one of the brew stations has to stand there and look at the sign to type out what the name of the beer is in untapped to rate it (laughs) in real time while you're waiting for your own beer because they're in front of you. Have you used untapped recently? Not recently. The last time I used it was probably three years ago, and it was such a fucking shit show. Like, it's a useful app, but oh my god, it is clunky as fuck. Yeah, it's... I don't think it's gotten better. In case you were wondering, Chapstick and Kolsch has 688 badges on Untapped. She's my worst nightmare. And has tried 1,745 unique beers. (sighs) She also... (laughs) Not not to be, I'm going to be that guy. She uses this, like, fucking, like, focus feature on her Instagrams that was came out with, like, Instagram 1.0. Yeah. And has not changed it. It's like she, no. not only is she never cleaning her phone lens, but she only uses Instagram filters from the original Instagram. Yeah. Yeah, she uses a lot of, like, the vignette and the, like, uh, the thing where it does, like, the blur on the top and bottom of the thing. And the worst thing that she does. <laughs> the worst thing she does. And she's done it more than once. Is she posts an up-close picture of, like, barrels. Yeah. Taken oh on a brewery tour and poses it as if she got a special so, exclusive oh my tour. That's like her brand voice. We so a couple of years ago, Kelsey Ugh. and I went to Portland to do like the regular beer tour, and we went to Allagash. And 
there's like an optional part of the Allagash tour where you can go to to their the warehouse where all their barrels are. Um, and like a week later, Chapstick and Kolsch went and had a post on her Instagram that was something about getting a custom tour. And I was like, girl, I literally have the exact same picture on my camera. You want to go? Right. Like, you're not special. <laughs> like, anyone can go on a brewery tour. And listeners, I really want you to take this to heart. Anyone can go on a brewery tour. <laughs> <laughs> anyone. And, like, because here's the thing is, like, breweries are pretty simple. They've got a mash tun. They've got a bright tank. They've got a fermenter. And maybe if they're lucky, they have a canning line. That's all you're going to see. And anyone can see them. Right. It just hurts me. But, like, she also thinks she's the only woman who drinks beer, so. Truly. Truly. I don't know. (laughs) Oh, my God. I just saw your Slack message. (laughs) We just found out she has a rival podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god. The the promo art for it says beer trends, some of my favorite beers, and the Vermont IPA fiasco. <laughs> Which could mean a couple of different things. However, I wouldn't refer to any of the results of them as being fiascos. <laughs> so the one thing I will own, as long as we're talking about archetypes of the beer folks... I found an article that was like 19 craft beer festival stereotypes, and they're mostly lame. Um, But one of them is the naysayer, which is knows damn well all of the most hyped beers that will be at this thing and is fully prepared to call them all underwhelming while extolling the virtues of the spectacularly clean Kolsch she found at some brewery with no line. (laughs) Like, I'm raising my hand behind the microphone, guys. That's me. That is you. (laughs) That's a thousand percent me. (laughs) I mean, I've already found multiple occasions to get hits in at the Alchemist and Hill Farmstead. So, like, but the Alchemist are douches. Can we just talk about how they're douches for so, five seconds? Kelsey, were you there for the festival at Oak Ledge Park? Yes. Yeah. So we went to this one fall festival. It was like a really small deal because it was only like their second year, and the Alchemist was like the they were like the get of the festival. Like this is what was like holding the whole festival together. So they came with the table. They had gift bags of canned Hetty Topper, and that's what they were serving for samples. And about an hour and a half before the end of the festival, we hadn't gone to the Alchemist yet, and then we went back for some reason. It was like a very specific reason. Yeah. And the table was completely clean and empty with not a soul in sight. They right. just ghosted. And it was like... it. It's just, like, bad. I don't want to say bad sportsmanship, but it is. Oh, it's completely bad sportsmanship. Because at least up here, like, and I think this is true for what I've seen of the beer scene in Massachusetts. But, like, it's really tight-knit, like, because the market is so saturated, everybody feels the need to work together instead of being competitive. Yeah. It's completely different than it is out in Oregon, where it's, like, hyper-competitive, and they don't talk about other breweries, and they don't have relationships with other head brewers, and blah, blah, blah. And so, like, these guys, like, go to festivals to hang out with each other. Like, they all um, do beer swaps at their tables, and, like, they go to each other's breweries after hours to do beer swaps, and, like, they're all pals. And so to have, like, the biggest one in the community ghost on everybody, and, like, not even be providing samples to people who paid to be there. It doesn't look good. Does not look good. And their beer's not up to the hype. Well, and that's the other thing is like the the alchemist tends to be like pretty arrogant. So I I'm going to lump in like certain types of breweries and brewers as being an archetype that you see because like yeah. there are some some breweries who achieve a certain level of hype and like start riding on those coattails and it lo- no longer is about the art. And I will go ahead and be really brazen and compare The Alchemist and Burlington Beer Company, where Burlington Beer Company is really successful, has started distributing out of state. Like, they are, I think, in in some ways, almost as big of a deal as The Alchemist. Not quite, but they are a big deal for all intents and purposes, but they're not bad people about it. 
And they're not just sitting back and resting on the success of a couple of important beers, like a couple flagships. They are, like, constantly innovating and changing their lineup. And the alchemist is so fucking arrogant. Hill Farmstead is so fucking arrogant. How many goddamn pale ales can you make before you, like, get burnt out on winning awards, Hill Farmstead? I even feel like Trillium's become a little arrogant. Yeah, they have. Their beer is very good, but it's, like... They know that, like, the demand is so high for their beer in particular that it's out of control, and they know that. Yeah, I think anytime you sort of rise to the top of your field in a specific place, like, it gets very easy to become complacent and, like, not try as hard. Yeah. Unless you're switchback, in which case being somewhat of an easy drinking, excuse me, easy drinking mediocre beer is important, and then it's okay. That's why Sam Adams has done so well. It's true. Yeah, switchback is like my panic beer. Like if I'm somewhere and I suddenly get overwhelmed and don't know what I'm ordering, I can just spit out switchback and I'll be happy. Sam's that for me. Yeah. Everyone's got to have one. So any other um, people to hate watch at a beer fest that we should mention or did we cover it? I feel like we covered a lot of it. I will say like I have gotten to a point in my life where the number of tickets that any given beer event gives me is critical. And so the first couple of events I went to, I got like 10 tickets or something. And I was like, that seems like nothing. But brew fests are basically power hour. Like you're drinking one ounce faster than you are if you just have a pint in front of you. Right. And so I, by the time I actually made it to the Burlington Beer Fest or Brewers Fest, which is like the most important one in the state, um, they did, I want to say 12 tickets. And I got, like, seven in and was officially too old for this shit. And people, like, I had a couple of people who I knew who showed up at that festival and had been there, like, an hour longer than me. So they gave me their tickets. And then I have a hookup at a particular brewery. So they were, like, giving me, um, like, samples under the table. And I didn't want them. I kept trying to give away my tickets, like, to prove a point because I needed to get rid of them. I'm too old for this shit. I am too old. It happens. Like, at this point... Even a flight is pushing it sometimes. Yeah, we had one, a beer fest that didn't do tickets or any sort of, like, moderation. Yep. And just kind of, like, did pours as you waited in line. And it was nice because there was no pressure of being like, I'm meant to drink 12. It's like, I can have whatever I want. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's true because you, like, you pay for the tickets. And so if you have 12 in your hand, like, I want to spend all 12 of them. Because I paid for them. And they had no issues with that system fun fact so yeah if you um if there's anything that we missed or you have any thoughts or feelings about beer we're both avid beer drinkers and like taking um suggestions and trying new beers if you have names of breweries you want to pass to us or you just want to talk about this shit in general and do some people watching feel free to do your people watching in our twitter feed using our handle at hate watch with us or send this shit to us by email, hatewatchwithus at gmail.com. Until next time. Oh, you keep forgetting. We're also on Tumblr. Hatewatchwithus.tumblr.com. And there you can find all of Romcom Education in case you want the full list and movie descriptions. Um, You can find information about the Hate Watch Knitting Circle. And we've got episodes. We do. I promise I'll update it. Yeah. Until next time, enjoy your beers. Goodbye. Goodbye. No, that's fine. I said syrup wrong, so it was a bust anyway.